and welcome to Handheld Zero, the show where we discuss the highs and lows of handheld gaming. Uh, my name is Nate, our Conception 2, as you might know me, and we have a great show for you today, but first we'll give you some context. I would definitely suggest listening to episode zero to get a sense of what the show is and what we aim to do with each episode. We also have two episodes in the bank where we talk about games previously. The first episode, we discuss Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban for Game Boy Advanced. The second episode, we discuss the Super Mario Brothers Deluxe game for Game Boy Color. Definitely check those out to get a sense of what we're doing here. This week, though, we're going to be talking about a new game as opposed to a retro game. We're going to be talking about Paper Mario The Origami King, just released not too long ago for the Nintendo Switch. But you might be wondering, why this game? Why do we want to talk about this game? Well, as I kind of alluded to already, this game is brand new, relatively speaking, especially in comparison to other games that I've played so far. So I wanted to give something new a chance on the show and just kind of talk about it. Paper Mario is also one of my favorite franchises. The original Paper Mario is actually one of my favorite games of all time. Now, I haven't played every game in the Paper Mario franchise, but... As soon as I saw a Switch version being created for newer generations, I had to get my hands on it. I wanted to play it, I wanted to beat it, and I wanted to talk to you all about it. All right, time for Natopedia, and every good Natopedia starts with a solid story summary. So let's get started. The story begins with Mario and Luigi heading over to Peach's Castle for the Origami Festival, which just seems to be a general celebration of origami. There might be some more cultural significance behind that, but I'm not entirely sure. However, when they get to Toad Town, which is where Peach's Castle is, the town is abandoned. It's kind of wrecked. They're approaching the castle with nobody being there, and they discover that the kingdom has actually been taken over by somebody named King Ollie. King Ollie is the origami king of this video game. Small in stature, uh, he's got like a blonde wisp of hair and a little crown on top of his head. And he says that his goal is to take not only the castle, but the whole kingdom and turn it into origami. We're not at this point sure why he wants to. He just seems to be generally an angry person. But at this time, we're also introduced to his sister, who is named Olivia. Olivia is also an origami individual. But she actually is on the side of Mario in this case and does not want to see the entire kingdom turned into origami. Keep in mind, everybody here is made of paper. So being turned into origami means actually being folded and crimped into some kind of position for all of eternity. So they don't really want that. What happens as a result is that Peach's castle is taken right from the ground by King Ollie and kind of teleported to the top of a mountain. And it is held there secure by five different ribbons. They're all different color. So Mario, with new companion Olivia, have the goal to go and destroy each of the ribbons so that the castle is now unsecured. And then they're going to go to the castle and confront King Ollie. Meanwhile, you might be wondering, well, what's Luigi doing? Luigi, as is the case with a lot of characters in the game, is kind of a comedy relief his entire goal for the whole game is to get the key to peach's castle which flew off in the explosion at various points in the game luigi will come to us with the key saying he finally got it right this time and it's just another key for something else that we need very useful for the moment but he does not come up with the key until the very end Talking a little bit more about Olivia, she has a special ability to use these origami powers that allow us to solve puzzles and perform powerful attacks in battle. She is able to, at certain points after a while, turn into things or allow Mario to turn into things that make solving puzzles a little bit easier for us. So, 
where we're at, Mario and Olivia have to traverse the kingdom to find these five colored ribbons and remove them while Luigi has to find the key. Mario and Olivia travel through a whole bunch of different lands. There's a desert. There's a Shogun-themed amusement park, which was one of my favorite levels. There's the Great Sea, which is just a big expanse of water that you get to traverse as well. And then there's a cloud top spa as well that they do in order to achieve uh, this goal. I'll interject here that we're going to start getting into more spoilery territory. So if you don't want to know how the story goes, you might want to skip ahead a little bit. Along the way, the uh, the duo contends with several elemental spirits as well. They call them velementals in the game. And what has happened at this point is that just before a lot of the ribbons, we have to encounter one of these velementals who has been turned into origami. We have to defeat them. And then when we defeat them, Olivia is able to learn their power. And then she is able to fold herself into these velementals. And then we now have that power to continue to use during the game. There are four elementals total, and we get to capture the powers of earth, water, fire, and ice. In addition to this, we get these powers, and then we need to destroy the source of the ribbon, which obviously is always going to be guarded by a boss. And what makes it a little bit charming and a little bit funny is that each of these ribbons is guarded by a boss that is some form of office supplies. So you got colored pencils, you got rubber bands, you got tape, you got scissors, staplers, everything that's like paper's worst enemy, basically, will be in your way. So you have to defeat each of them, and then you will eventually be able to get to the, the source of the ribbon, which is like a spool, and then you'll use your powers to break the spool so that the ribbon no longer is a factor for you. After all of these bosses and puzzles, Mario and Olivia finally are able to confront King Ollie at Peach's castle only to find that it has been turned into a beautiful origami castle. Beautiful but evil, I should say. And once they have gotten inside the castle, after Luigi finally gives them the right key, we find that King Ollie has folded 999 paper cranes, and he plans on using Mario, who is made of paper, to make the 1,000th crane in order to get a wish of his choosing. And the wish that he chooses is that he's going to turn every toad and the rest of the Mushroom Kingdom into origami. And then it's at this point, as well as with some details that we learn along the way, that we kind of figure out what King Ollie's motivation is, which is he hates toads. But why does King Ollie hate toads? Because the toad who created Ollie, who is referred to in this game as the origami craftsman, defaced him by writing on him. And he kind of flashes like kind of on his midriff section some writing that we can't see until afterwards. But we defeat Ollie after a sizable boss battle. And Olivia is actually able to use Ollie's corpse, for lack of a better term, his paper corpse, to fold the 1,000th crane in order to get a wish. And then she uses her wish to undo all of the origami that has ever been created by her brother, which saves the kingdom. But we also learn throughout the course of the game that Olivia herself was folded by her brother. So she sacrifices herself in order to save the kingdom. Very touching moment. We end the game there after the... Mushroom Kingdom is restored to its paper glory, where they still choose to celebrate origami in the origami festival. And the game ends on a shot where we kind of honor Olivia and then memories of some of the other companions that we've made along the way, just kind of floating off of those floating lanterns into the sky as a kind of touching memorial. And that's kind of where we end the game. The game, obviously published by Nintendo, developed by Intelligent Systems, which is the developer of pretty much every Paper Mario game. And it was released in North America on July 17th, 2020, so not too long ago.
Let's delve into the gameplay here a little bit. So this one isn't so cut and dry in terms of genre. It has a lot going on here. So I have narrowed it down to three main categories of different types of game genre, which are action adventure, puzzle, and RPG. Let's kind of take each one of those step by step. So starting with action adventure, it's pretty obvious we're exploring a 3D world and collecting coins and items. And we'll talk a little bit more about what those collectibles look like later. But we're traversing the lands, we're we're adventuring, and there's action. It's kind of right built into the title. We're using developed in-game mechanics to deal with obstacles and solve puzzles. And again, we're going to talk a little bit more about puzzles there. But the fact that they are placed in the overworld for us to solve gives it that action-adventure kind of vibe. One of the main functions that is introduced in this game is uh, graffiti. So every object, like trees and things like that, rocks that you can destroy or hit will usually produce some level of graffiti. You have a graffiti bag that upgrades after each boss. And there is various holes, bottomless holes that are in the environment that you're meant to fill up with the graffiti in order to pass by, or they kind of act as a collectible in their own way. You want to fill up every bottomless hole in every area in order to kind of complete that area. So that is also kind of an action adventure element to it as well. That's placed in the overworld separate from combat and puzzle solving, really. It's more just about filling those holes and reestablishing the world. But let's talk puzzles now. So puzzles play a very unique role in this story here. First of all, as opposed to some earlier iterations of Paper Mario games, the combat is actually puzzle-based. It is still turn-based, but it's puzzle-based. So it takes place inside of a ring. Now, standard battles have Mario and maybe a companion at the center of the ring, and then you have to solve these rotation and sliding puzzles in order to get the enemies lined up in an ideal formation that you can either jump on them in a row or if kind of the spread out in front of you so you can hammer it down in order to do kind of like area of effect damage similarly. So you have to solve and rotate little mini puzzles every time you have an encounter in order to defeat them as fast as possible and to potentially defeat them without getting injured. Now, when you get to boss battles, they're actually the inverse. So the boss is going to be at the center of the ring and Mario has to solve rotating and sliding puzzles in order to create a safe path to the boss and do damage however that boss needs to be taken care of. Every boss is kind of different. Some bosses you need to get right up close. You have to jump on them from behind or the side. Some of them you have to keep your distance and maybe jump on them or else they are going to snap back at you when it's too close. A lot of them also place obstacles on the area so that you can't pass by in an easy route that just heads straight to it. You know, there might be, for example, like some fire pokers in the ground that if you walk on that square, it's going to cause you to be flamed and take damage and it kind of stops you in your tracks. So you kind of have to solve and rotate puzzles there in order to make it to the boss and, and defeat them as effectively as possible as well. There's also various overworld puzzles that are separate from the combat that are solved using the elemental powers that we unlock through the game, but also just other abilities that are origami based. The key one being an ability called Thousand Fold Arms, which kind of gives Mario these, for lack of a better term, accordion arms that he can then use like stretch and reach and then pull down paper to reveal hidden secrets or things like that as well. And finally, we have the RPG aspects of the game. They are, and in my opinion, unfortunately, not as many RPG elements as previous iterations that I really enjoyed, but there are still a few. Obviously, we're playing the role of Mario here, so just on the surface, it's a role-playing game. We're playing the role of Mario, acting through his story. We also have the Travel Buddies make a somewhat return to the series. So Travel Buddies, as I refer to them here, they're NPCs that assist with puzzles and fight in combat. 
That's a little bit different this go around because they're not able to be controlled by us. They act independently of us. So even in combat, when we're fighting, we control Mario and we control the rings in order to solve the puzzles. But the NPC there will attack separately from you and you can't choose who to attack or or what to do there. And oftentimes they miss as well. So you can't really control that either. As we had mentioned before, there is a large overworld with fast travel between areas, which has always been a key factor of RPG games and especially ones with bigger worlds able to traverse the entire land and fast travel between locations. Very key RPG element there. And then lastly, there is a robust equipment and usable item system that is used both in combat and then as part of the overworld. We're going to dive into a little bit about what each of those means in terms of equipment use as weapons or equipment used as just accessories and things of that nature. But having that system in place is another key RPG element as well. Let's dive a little bit into collectibles now. So there is a variety of collectibles that take place in the game. The main one and the most obvious one, I would say, is toads. Now, collecting toads, it sounds a little bit weird. We're not like just picking them up and putting them in our pocket. As we kind of alluded to in our story summary, the toads are not great for King Ollie. So what King Ollie does is oftentimes toads are folded into various origami shapes or well hidden. And then you have to hit them with your hammer to unfold them and bring them back to their paper state. Oftentimes they'll be hidden as little bugs or they might be hidden in trees or in in blocks or in like you know waste paper bins and stuff like that. You just have to be very cognizant while you're looking around of what might be a toad. There's a lot of things that it could be. So we are obviously on the mission as we go along, you know, defeating these ribbons to get to the castle. We want to free the toads as well. And then if you do free the toads, they actually are able to help you in battle a little bit by, you know, sometimes throwing you health items or if the puzzle is particularly challenging, they'll make a couple of key rotations for you that make it a little bit easier as well. They do cost coins to use, but coins are very plentiful in the game, so it's not really too much of a hassle to use. Another collectible that you'll be finding in the game are trophies for lack of a better term. They're often in blocks or chests, and they are various enemies or areas in the game that you will encounter, and then they are placed inside the museum in Toad Town that you can kind of just peruse and and see all of them that you have unlocked. Uh, They're very nice looking. If they made like actual collectibles in real life of them, I think I would like to get one. So uh, it's kind of unique, and those are usually a little bit more cleverly hidden, I find. As I alluded to before with the graffiti section, there are bottomless holes. So every area has a set number of bottomless holes that you have to fill with your confetti. That acts similarly to a collectible. You're not actually collecting anything, but if you want to finish an area, you need to fill up all of the bottomless holes as well. And lastly, the last collectible itself is hitting the question mark blocks. Similar to the bottomless holes, you're not collecting question mark blocks for you to like hold on to. But if you want to complete an area, you need to hit every question mark block, basically, regardless of whether it just has a few coins in it or not. You got to hit them all. All right. Lastly, let's talk a little bit about equipment. So the equipment there is also decently robust. So the main weapons that Mario uses, as is the case in a lot of earlier versions of Paper Mario, are your boots and your hammer. Now, in previous iterations that I've played, like I said, I haven't played every version of Paper Mario, you just continuously upgrade your boots and your hammer to do more damage over time to be of a more sturdy material so you can get by other objects. And such is the case in this game to an extent. 
this game, like a lot of more modern games, takes on the concept of breakable weapons. So if you overuse a set of boots that you have found, for example, they're going to break and they're not going to be usable anymore. However, the game does a really good job of not only putting a lot of these weapons in the overworld itself in these question mark boxes or chests, but they also are occasionally dropped by enemies and there are plenty of shops as well. So you can just continuously buy these objects as needed. And some of them are sturdier than others. So some of them will last a little bit longer as opposed to earlier versions and things like that. For boots, you have a bunch of options. You have some that are like sturdy material that do a lot of damage. There are some that you have to wear in order to jump on enemies who are spiked. So if you try to use a set of boots and jump on a spiked enemy without boots that are you know made of a metal of some sort, then you're going to end up taking damage for yourself as opposed to doing damage to the enemy. So there's that key factor. And with hammers, there are your default hammers. There are hammers that do more damage, that are a little bit more flashy. There is a hammer that I really liked using that enables you to throw the hammer instead. Opa Thor style. And uh, you hit a line of enemies as opposed to like have just a few enemies that are spread out in front of you, which is really cool. And there are also gold versions of each of those items that when you use them, enable you to get more coins. In terms of items, there's also regular items that are very popular with pretty much any Mario game, even separate from the Paper Mario game. There are healing items, which obviously take the form of mushrooms, and there's different levels of mushrooms, such as your basic mushroom, your shiny mushroom, your flashy mushroom, that do uh, more and more. You increase your health, basically. And there are obvious items that do damage. Your fire flowers, we got ice flowers in this one as well. You have pal blocks, which affects the entire ring around you and do a little bit of damage as well. And to talk about the third kind of function of items and equipment in this game, we actually have accessories as well. So there are a few key item accessories, such as a radar detector for toads that you can continuously go back and forth between a charging location because you it's not an item that disappears after use, but it does have a battery. So if you drain the battery, you have to go to a location uh, that is established in the game and recharge the, the battery. Luckily, with every sub area you're in, there's a special door that leads to an area. So you don't have to go to one location that's like super far away and then head back to where you came from. It makes it a little bit more accessible for you. But in addition to that, we also have equipable accessories that add health, defense, extra time to solve puzzles, ability to find all your collectibles easier. There's even one that acts like a pedometer. So every 10,000 steps, it'll give you a reward of some kind. There's one that enables you to suck up graffiti from a larger distance. So you don't have to like walk directly above the graffiti. You can kind of walk in the general area and it'll kind of suck it up into you. Those are another form of equipment that you can equip to yourself as well. All right, time for buffs and nerfs. Let's talk about what works and what doesn't in this game for me. So as always, let's start with the positive. Buffs, what works for me? The aesthetic of the game is gorgeous. I love the mixture of our 2D paper people mixed with the semi-3D origami that we see with these new characters as well as the 2.5D environment that we get to work with. If you follow gaming people on social media, you might also notice that the water graphics kind of went viral in this game because the water is gorgeous in this game. It looks like real water in a paper game, and I just think that they really knocked it out of the park with the the aesthetic of this game. So I was a big, big fan of that. The turn-based puzzle combat is also something I thought I would be a little bit resistant to at first, but I found it pretty innovative and challenging enough to keep the game interesting. 
you might think that with every encounter having to solve a puzzle every time you do it would get kind of boring or frustrating, but they all went fast enough for me that I didn't think that it was completely overbearing. So I, I enjoyed that as well. It kind of added a new flavor to Paper Mario games that I wasn't used to seeing. Uh, the collectibles in this game, I think they're, I'm not somebody who collects every collectible in, in games usually, but they're really fun to collect. I really like saving the toads, and this is going to tie into our next point in a second. But whenever you save toads, there's usually some nice funny quip or line that they'll throw our way. Or sometimes they'll give you a hint or additional prizes as well. So collecting a collectible to get another collectible kind of had a nice payoff to it. And the good news there as well is that there are so many collectibles in the game that it kind of increases the replayability of it or lengthens the game at the very least to make it a longer experience. And mainly one one thing I absolutely loved about this game as well was that the writing in this game, the script, is really sharp, really funny. I didn't expect it for a Mario game necessarily, but the writing, they just have these like little one-liners, little zingers, little quips here that made me laugh. And I think that was made for more of an adult audience who would understand the script. Obviously, it being a, a cartoonish Mario game, it's going to be attractive to kids as well. But I really enjoyed the writing here, and I think that it was kind of the star of the show, in my opinion. On the inverse, let's talk nerfs. Let's talk about what didn't quite work for me or things that I think could be improved. So as I mentioned before, I did like the turn-based puzzle combat in terms of keeping the game interesting. I, I did enjoy that. I'm, as somebody who loves to solve puzzles, it was it was pretty fun for me. On the inverse of that, solving these puzzles didn't feel like it had a substantial enough reward. Now, this game doesn't have your typical RPG features in terms of you earn experience to level up and then you get some kind of reward from leveling up. The only real reward that you get from defeating an enemy is coins, which as I alluded to earlier, coins are plentiful in the game. If enemies didn't give you coins at all, you'd still have plenty because there are spots that'll just give you thousands of coins and there's blocks that have coins there's hidden areas every time you fill a bottomless hole with graffiti it gives you a bunch of coins we don't really need a lot of coins but the coins are so plentiful in the game and i feel like the game could have succeeded even more if it had given us a more substantial reward or if it had gone back to its roots a little bit and gone with the experience route as well the story is really cute and wholesome. It's pretty simple, so it's not like really hard to wrap your head around. And because of that, it does feel a little bit predictable and it feels formulaic a majority of the time. Like when you really start to get into the meat potatoes of the game, you realize what you're going to do is you're going to go fight a Velemental to get us power to solve an overworld problem. And then you're going to go fight an office supply boss to defeat the ribbon. And you do that like four or five times. So it becomes pretty easy to understand what you're doing. Again, it's not overly a bad thing, but it became a little bit repetitive in the overworld sense, and I would have liked a little bit more twist and intrigue to the story there. The next one's more of a personal preference for me. I really loved about Paper Mario and then also Thousand Year Door, which is the second game in the series, that experience and level up portion of RPG games. I really wish they would kind of dive back into that. I think that would really benefit a game even now where RPGs are really prevalent and story and single player experiences. I think they would benefit from including those things again, adding experience to each combat, making it a little bit more robust in terms of the system and giving you more rewards for doing so. And lastly, 
I really liked that they included the travel buddies back into the game. But a couple complaints there for me was that one, the travel buddies are very limited to the area. So you don't get any one buddy for a long time. And I really like that you can kind of swap buddies in and out in previous games. And two, I didn't love that you have no control over the buddy at all in combat. I really would like to utilize them in combat to make it a little bit more clever of a combat system and maybe you don't solve a puzzle all the way but then you could back it up with you know attacking a specific enemy with the travel buddy as you choose but you don't really get control so that kind of knocked a couple uh, points off for me how many cards let's give our final impressions and a review score out of five cartridges here so final impressions the world is beautiful the writing is charming And the world is right again with another Paper Mario game, of course. The puzzle combat is really interesting and at times challenging, which is self-rewarding, but earning something besides coins will motivate a player like me to continue playing a little bit more. The story, while it is predictable and formulaic, is cute, it's simple, it's wholesome. It grabs you right in. The writing is the true star of the show. It's sharp, it's funny. You want to read every text box that comes across your screen. As a massive fan, I would really like to see Nintendo embrace the parts of the original Paper Mario and Thousand Year Door that I love, such as that experience system and control over your travel buddies and things like that. I think that would really work in today's society in terms of gameplay. I think that would really go over well, and I think fans of the series who have been fans since the beginning are wanting that change, so I think they should make that as well. But all I know is that Now that there's a new Paper Mario game out there, I'm excited to hop back into the origami world and find those little hidden nooks and crannies, rescue those toads, and get those trophies. So for a final review score, I'm going to give this four cartridges out of five. Four cartridges out of five. All right, and just like that, we're already over to the Game Over Continue portion of the podcast. Let's talk a little bit about what we're going to be doing next episode. So two weeks from now, we're going to be diving into a handheld system that I have not explored personally ever. So I'm a little bit excited. Uh, We're going to be utilizing the Sega Game Gear, which is a Sega handheld system. And we're going to be playing a game called Castle of Illusion starring Mickey Mouse. So it's a Disney-licensed game for the Sega Game Gear. It also appears to be a 2D platformer from what I understand, but again, I have zero experience playing it. So it's going to be new for me. I hope that you'll enjoy that as well as we get to dive into a system that we haven't talked about yet and a system for me that I have yet to try. Don't forget, follow me on Twitter at Conception underscore 2. That's Conception with a K. You can also follow and subscribe to me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash conception2. There's no underscore between conception and two in that one. Also, subscribe on YouTube as well. You can just search Nate Porteous. That's N-A-T-E space P-O-R-T-E-O-U-S. You'll be able to find a lot of videos of me speedrunning on there. But also on Twitch and YouTube, you will be able to see the video and unedited versions of the podcast if you're interested in that as well. Of course, if you're listening to the podcast in an audio format, thank you so much for doing so. If you wouldn't mind, please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already on whatever platform you're listening on. 
And if you can, please review the podcast and rate it five stars. Even if you're somebody who's listening on, say, Stitcher, if you wouldn't mind hopping over to Apple Podcasts and giving us a a nice review and a five-star rating, I would really appreciate that. It's going to really help elevate the show and get it off the ground a little bit. And it'll be very encouraging to produce some more content for you. I would love to shout out a few reviews, actually, just in order to show you what the uh, reviews are and then if you have a review for yourself i'll be happy to shout yours out as well so let me load this up here all right let's see some reviews so first review which is from ftsksk not sure if that's a username or just like a code or whatever said uh nate is great five stars nate's love of handheld video games shines through his streams on twitch and now his podcasts his passion makes him easy to listen to and he shares a lot of cool often overlooked information about the games i can't wait until he plays and discusses some of my favorites and even more so i can't wait to be introduced to games i haven't played yet thank you so much ftskk it really means a lot to uh to hear that thank you for checking me out on twitch as well as the podcast uh, next one is absolutely biased because it's my fiance, but I'm going to read it anyway. Uh, this is from Princess Ashfire. He has a great voice for podcasts and his information is super fun and entertaining. I look forward to more of his podcasts. I'm not even a video game person and he keeps me interested with his new take on everything. I don't know. I'm excited for more games. Thank you, sweetheart. We have another one from Marvel fan one, two, three. I'm also a Marvel fan. Maybe we can talk about that at some point. I was a little worried about the subject matter of the first show, the first show discussing Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, but Nate disavowed J.K. Rowling pretty hard and wrapped me up in a nice, cozy, safe space blanket, and it was smooth sailing from there on out. This guy knows a lot about video games and is very concise in his plot recaps and gameplay overviews. I'll be interested to hear about some of the more abstract games and handhelds out there, like the PSP that was mentioned. Stay tuned. We'll probably be doing a PSP episode coming up in the future. But yeah, thank you for those amazing reviews. Feel free, like I mentioned, to leave a review for yourself. And if I see it, I'll definitely give it a read. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back in two weeks with Castle of Illusion starring Mickey Mouse for the Sega Game Gear. But for now, have an excellent couple weeks. And we'll see you next time.